Welcome back to the Fully Express Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Roland. And if you can't already tell, I'm already having a great time with today's guest, Jessie Bax. We have this amazing woman to hear from today. I'm so excited for y'all to learn from her. She is a feminine embodiment coach. And we met in ceremony. And from the moment I met Jessie, she just had this beautiful bright light, this energy that was so welcoming. In the middle of ceremony, we were like staring at each other, being like, I love this feminine energy in this corner that we're bringing together. And we're just smiling and so happy. And she just brought this beautiful heart opening energy to the space. And um, ever since then, just watching her really step more and more into herself every single day has been so beautiful just to witness in even just two months. Um, And she does the same for other women to help them do that as well. And so I'm so excited for y'all to hear from her. Jessie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so stoked to be here. I'm going to cry based on what you shared. I was like, I'm brought back to that moment of us on the corner, the sun shining on us. I was like, oh. and you were this bright light for me wearing this beautiful white gown. I'm like, oh my God, this is a goddess I'm staring at. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, mutual, mutual. Seriously, it was so beautiful. So thanks for sharing that space with me. Um, Yeah, please tell us more about you. Who are you? What has made you who you are today? Mm -hmm. I I love this question and I love how it shifts every time I either tell my story or someone asks me on a podcast episode, like, who are you today and how did you get there? And really the direction that I've been taking now as I've stepped into more of my fully expressed self is looking at all of these past versions of me and all of the shame and all of the, the parts of me I didn't like. And I actually had to sit with all of those versions of myself and say, okay, but why don't I like myself? And I had to look at all those versions and say, okay, I don't like myself because, and I filled in the blank. Mm -hmm. And I started to recognize, oh, I'm not living my fully expressed life. I'm not being my true self because of what this person said or because of what this parent told me I should do or how society has put me in this box. And I started to really look at all of those versions and I started to break them down. And this has been a process. So I I started my spiritual awakening back in 2020, so three years in, and holy shit, the shifts and changes by constantly looking at yourself and you're able to see yourself as a new version, and then you get to challenge that too and step into a new version of yourself. So really looking at all of these versions of myself that I used to not be so kind to, the parts of me who I said, I hate you, that's kind of my main story, looking myself in the mirror, body and mind and saying, I hate you, Jesse. Mm-hmm. And hearing the cloudiness and the guck and the yuck and all this stickiness inside of me and saying, okay, this isn't how I want to feel. This isn't who I truly am. So what if I just shed all of that? And who can I become each and every day by just looking at myself, not looking at myself with layers of other people. Mm. That's so beautiful. Mm. That's so beautiful. Oh my gosh. I love that you also were just so honest with yourself. It sounds like, like I think it's really hard for people to admit that they don't like parts of themselves. Like that, mm-hmm. that seems like something that our culture, our society has not allowed us to admit, right? We're supposed to be the best and we're supposed to like put on this idea that we're doing great <laughs> and not show anybody that anything is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And so to say like, yeah, I really don't like myself and here's why. <laughs> it's just like, like so much honesty that like, I don't think a lot of people can even be with that. Right. Wow. That's so brave and so, so beautiful. Um, what was that? I'd love to hear more about that experience for you. Like as, as you were breaking that down and like coming to terms with that, um, and then shifting the way you felt about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I shared that when I looked myself in the mirror, I said like, I hate you. And this happened two specific times that I can really remember. And that's really what started 
two of my journeys. So back in December of 2014, it was December 28th, I was going through a lot of anxiety and depression that I wouldn't admit to. Hmm. And it came from a lot of drinking, a lot of shamefulness, a lot of sleeping around. Like that was really just like how I was coping with my anxiety and depression. And this is my freshman to sophomore year of college. And I looked myself in the mirror December 28th, 2014. I was wearing this like brown thong my grandma bought me when I was in seventh grade. It was, <laughs> I had a leopard bra on. Like I just remember it so vividly. My room was a mess just as my life was a mess. It felt like, and I looked myself in the mirror, looked at my body and I was 170 pounds. So I was pretty overweight. And I looked myself in the eye and I said, I hate you. Hmm. And I decided in that moment with all of the feeling, I was going to snap a photo and say, this is my motivation to no longer feel like this ever again. And that was my poster for who I wanted to become. And it's interesting, right? Where a lot of times where we think about these vision boards, we think about having this perfect, perfect image of what we're going to look like or what we should look like. But I use the current version of myself that I despised. And I could feel it in my body how much I was not doing well to myself. I wasn't honoring myself. And in that moment, I decided in the next few days, I was going to start this New Year's resolution. And I did. And I, after I went to spring break, because we all get hot for spring break when we're in college, everyone went back to their old like drinking habits, eating habits. And I was like, no, I made a promise to myself. I'm not going to feel like that anymore. So I kept going. And I kept going so much that I actually ended up becoming a personal trainer to help women through their body transformations, through these really big times of not loving their bodies. And then it was in 2020, same around around April of 2020, I looked myself in the mirror once again. My body was banging, felt really confident in my body. I looked myself in the mirror once again and I said, Jesse, I hate you. And I was like, what the fuck? I already said that one time. My body is exactly where I wanted it to be. I look good. I feel good. What's going on? And I recognize when the world went silent during the pandemic, my voice got louder inside. Mm. And that was a spiral. It was a constant loop. And in that moment, I said, all right, let's do it again. But let's focus on something different. And that led me down the path to learning more about myself, seeing my, my voices as what they were, mindfulness, and continued on this journey to being exactly where I am today and now helping women in that sense of being able to see themselves or who they truly are and removing that self-hate and finding more fulfillment in themselves by just being themselves. That's so good. That's so good. Because... I think that, you know, I could hear when you're talking about the first part of your journey and and the weight loss, like I could hear a twinge of like you, you had the taste of like, okay, I love myself enough to not want to feel this way again. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like the gap was thinking that like that was only in relationship to your body and not realizing that there was so much more to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that the second time around, you're like, okay, it's not just about my body. <laughs> and I still deserve to not feel this way again. That's really, really awesome. I would love to hear more about like what those other gaps were for you. Like what were those other aspects of your being, of your inner dialogue that you really had to address to not feel that way again? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, really when it started, it was, so when it started, it was a lot about my past relationship and that was like my reality. So I dated someone for four and a half years and uh, we were going to get married. We lived together, like all of these things. And when you get wrapped up in another being, you start to forget parts of yourself. And when I looked at myself, that's where I was like, okay, 
I'm not being my true self because I'm still holding on to who I thought I needed to be in this relationship. And not only in the relationship with that partner, it started to branch out and be, okay, well, who am I in my family dynamic? Who am I in my friendship dynamic? And I started to look very closely at all of these people out here. And then it got really loud. It got really hard. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What if we just go back to ourselves? And again, we always try to look outside of ourselves to find the answers. And it's constantly being that reminder of coming back to yourself. So when I came back to myself, I recognized in that moment, like the biggest, the biggest volume of noise was this anxiety. And it was the anxiety that I've had for a while, but I didn't actually want to admit to or address because that means something was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to admit that. And I noticed that there were parts of me, and this is like, this stands out so clearly, anyone in my life I would be talking to and I would start immediately getting anxiety or I'd have anxiety right after. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night because I was just like, okay, well, I should have said this or like, what do they think about me? Or like, should I be doing this better? And like constantly, constantly, constant worry. And when I found my anxiety and I saw the anxiety for what it was, I started to ask it a question of why? Like, why am I feeling this way? Why is this here? And when I started to answer those questions, I was able to start seeing the, the narratives just fresh. And instead of being like, how dare I think like that? I was like, okay, I see you. You're here. Let me write a little bit more. So that started the journaling in my life. And then it led me to going over to this place of meditation which allowed me to see the thoughts, but then not actually attach anything to them. So I was finally able to process without having them affect my body. Because what you shared earlier, which really stood out to me, was how I was focusing on my body in the beginning. And then I started to say like, oh, my mind. But kind of like full circle where we are today, this feminine embodiment coach, I got so far in my mind that I got out of my body. And that was the disconnect right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> yes, I hear that. I I love that you just brought that together because I really do think that is something that is missing in so many healing spaces. And actually, I've had so many conversations recently about mm-hmm. this with some of my close girlfriends who are similar in this space, who are coaches and, and healers and things like that. It's also very much missing in the feminine space um, where there's this lack of groundedness in the physical whether it's your own body or the world or both. (laughs) And it's such an important thing to talk about because for one thing, I think that a lot of people forget that your body is part of your mind, right? Your body is not separate from your mind. It is your mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it, it, it responds, it signals, it does all the things. It's just a matter of listening to it. Mm-hmm. And then also this idea of being like so in your mind or even so in the spiritual way of thinking or spiritual realm that like you're not actually on earth completely, which prevents people from having like full abundance here in this lifetime where they're not able to stick to a schedule. They're not able to be financially stable. They're not mm-hmm. able to um, – connect with their body like health wise even or whatever. And it's really this gap that I see in a lot of spaces. So I really love that you brought that together because both are so equally important. (laughs) Yeah. And And what you're sharing, it sounds like the toxic femininity that I wanted to share here. Yes. (laughs) We need to, we need to shed high, like highlight that because we talk about toxic masculinity all the time and toxic femininity I've been there. Like when I was stepping into this feminine embodiment coach, I literally was like, universe got my back. I'm just going to sit back. 
I'm just going to let yes. it happen. <laughs> and then I was like, where the fuck is the abundance? I started having lack yes. mindset because shit wasn't going my way. Then I was like, oh yes. my God, dude, it's because you're, you're so toxic in your femininity because you're basically punishing your masculine energy <laughs> for what exactly. it is. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So good. I love it. Amen. Amen. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I'm with you a thousand percent. Um, that's part of the reason why I've been having so many conversations about this because like now moving to San Diego and I've been here for a couple months now, I'm, I'm surrounded by so many more coaches, healers, people in the space than ever before because it's very highly saturated here. Right. And so seeing a lot of people being a lot more spaces where this is present, I get it because like the feminine has been rejected and suppressed for so long. So I do get the extreme like to, to going into that, into that side and and punishing the masculine. I understand it. I I have so much compassion for it and it doesn't work either. Like, Like, and it could work for like a little bit, but, but similar to the masculine, like it works for a little bit and it works it actually could work for a while, but uh, <laughs> but it doesn't feel good for everyone. And I think that there's a lot of fear around women voicing that because it's like, well, what do you mean? Like, stop trying to suppress other women or stop try- – like, you're just too much in your masculine or something <laughs> like that. It's like, no, like, we really need a balance because, mm-hmm. yeah, just like the masculine, the feminine can become toxic when there isn't that um, – rootedness in in the masculine as well like i always think of it as like the masculine is like the container that make that makes it safe for the feminine to be free and to be wild and so you know for those listening who may not be so familiar with these concepts like i'm not talking about like oh men need to hold the container for women no women can embody their masculine energy masculine energy is about structure and rules and groundedness and goals and um being on time and all of those things like the very structural type of things that we see in the world and then the feminine is a lot more about flow and freedom and feeling and intuition and so so to create a safe container where women feel held to explore that, you do need a certain level of masculine energy to create that protective space. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> and I'd love to hear anything else you have to say about it because I could talk about it. <laughs> well, I love that you mentioned the container. And uh, I have a few analogies when I talk about balancing the energies. I actually did a short burst program called Divine Sensual Feminine. And a lot of people who joined were coaches and mentors. Mm -hmm. And they thought that they were joining to completely get out of their masculine to come into only their feminine. And I was like, all right, I'm so glad that got you in here, but newsflash, we're not doing that. Like we're not going to shame one or the other. And the analogy that I want to share here on top of the container, because I think that's exactly it. It's the container of the masculine. You have the edges and then inside the container, the feminine can do whatever she wants. She can flow. That's her space. That's her creativity. I downloaded this analogy of Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. So Peter Pan is our masculine and Tinkerbell is our feminine. And when we think of Peter, Peter can be in this beautiful flow when he's balanced and he can be playful. He can have an inner child. He can be a go-getter and Tinkerbell's there playing along, asking him to come this way. And they're kind of just toying back and forth with each other. But then whenever Captain Hook comes around, Peter gets so focused on going after Captain Hook, that he gets so in his masculine that there is no room for anything else to come in. So he's going, he's going, he's going. You see him getting really tired and that's the burnout starting to creep in. And you see Tinkerbell getting frustrated with (laughs) Peter Pan. Like, what the hell, dude? Like, come on. Like, no, let's play a little bit. Let's do this. And he kicks her away or pushes her aside or puts her away. But when you are able to actually see Peter and Tinkerbell come together and have this harmonious relationship, 
you're able to have the structure and the play at the same time and they communicate with each other because sometimes Tinkerbell goes on her own and Peter has to reel her back and vice versa. And that's the beautiful thing about having this relationship with the masculine and the feminine is it's a dance of the two, of these two beings back and forth. Like Men and women have both sides of them. So you're having this play together and you're able to keep each other accountable. Like me now, I'm like, okay, I went to Costa Rica. I didn't really do too much. I was really in my feminine. Now my masculine's like, hello, can we, can we come back to me a little bit? And my feminine's like, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's, let's go. Like, give me the structure and I'm going to flow and create in the realm of that. Thanks for reeling me back. I, I appreciate you. Yes. Yes. That's, yeah. I love that analogy. And it's so true. It's just such a dance. And I, th- I think that it, it actually, you know, we, we're talking about it like it's very easy. <laughs> <laughs> Newsflash. But I, I don't know about you, but my experience is that it is quite difficult to be in that dance and to find that balance because, um, Again, for those who aren't super familiar with these ideas, like the masculine is just super rewarded in our world, right? Like I, before I became a coach, I was in the corporate world. I had a master's degree from a top university. I worked at a top four consulting firm. Like those were the things that like my masculine tendencies and energies and abilities to do things in the the way of the masculine were very highly rewarded by our society and by my parents. Like my parents were like, yes, you're doing everything right, you know? (laughs) And that's not to say that I couldn't have stayed in those types of roles or accomplished those things and still been in my feminine. But because they were so rewarded my tendency was to be incredibly rigid and incredibly structured and um, incredibly go, go, go. And and I didn't have a lot of flow. And I'm, I still struggle with that. Like it's like st- still today, like is such a struggle for me to just be like, hmm, maybe I'll leave the next few hours open and do what I <laughs> feel like doing today. <laughs> like that's still actually a struggle for me. And so, you know, I say that to like, you know, because there's no shame in not feeling like you are there yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm curious to hear from you, what are some of the practices that you have done for yourself and for your clients to really help like, allow freedom in both of those spaces of the dance? Yeah, yeah. And I'm really glad that you called out that this isn't – it's not easy. Like There are challenges here. And it's the constant reminder of – of what's coming in, if it's masculine or feminine. And it's interesting. That's exactly what I work with my clients on because I have a lot of uh, coaches, entrepreneurs, executives who are here, who are climbing the ladder, who are so successful. And they're like, I have to structure my day every single ounce. And when I say, all right, well, what if you did it? They'd be like, nope, absolutely not. I have to do this. I have to do that. So we talk a lot about surrendering. And it's this surrenderance that we are able to actually allow for our feminine to come in. And it's going to be a practice. Everything's a practice. And what's so important is when you acknowledge the emotion or the narrative that's coming in when you surrender and you slow down. So leaving a few hours open on your calendar, what comes through? Mm, I shouldn't be doing that. I should be doing more. I need to be doing this. I have this list. I have XYZ. I'm not going to be successful. That's what runs through our mind. So the practice is actually taking the space, going outside and grounding yourself. That's always the biggest thing, tapping back into our bodies, tapping back into mother nature, and then hearing and really having that journal out so you can see the narratives. And this is the build upon because the first time you're going to do it, I won't say go out and do nothing. I will really say like, go out and ref- like hear your thoughts. So when you start hearing your thoughts, we're going to start breaking down those thoughts. So it gets easier and easier and easier. And even when we're, we're doing nothing, there are so many times, like even yesterday, I was sitting and doing nothing. I practice embodiment all the time. I practice my femininity and, and just being in the flow all the time. And I was sitting here and I was like, I danced for a little bit. I journaled a little bit. 
I cuddled my cat. I did a meditation. And I was like, am I doing this right? Am I, <laughs> am I feminine flowing right? Like, should I be like timing myself? Should I have more structure to this? And I was like, what? I started laughing at myself because I was like, dude, you, you embody this. You practice this. You teach this. What? And it's a constant reminder that we're all still learning and there's still narratives that are going to come up constantly over and over again, but it's actually doing it. Because after that, maybe 15 minutes of dancing around, tapping back into my body, really just sitting with myself, I looked myself in the mirror and I was like, yo, little mama, you look great. I love you. (laughs) And being able to be like, okay, like I feel so tapped in, tuned in, turned on for me to continue to exist in life. And now I feel like this motivated energy to actually put work in because I gave myself that space to just Mm. surrender to whatever was going to come through. Mm. Yeah. So beautiful. Thank you for your (laughs) honesty that, you know, it is totally a journey. (laughs) And nobody's ever doing it perfectly. (laughs) There is no such thing. We're always questioning. We're always in the dance. Um, So that's really, really awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, um, it's so beautiful to observe that too, right? It's like the, the, um, Like that idea of like, am I doing it right? Is like, just like the most beautiful thing to me. Like it it can be really frustrating, right? To keep, to be like, am I doing healing right? Am I in this process right? But it actually is um, really beautiful to me because it just signals the humanness of all of it, right? Like no matter what level you get to, I think like the human of life is one of the hardest and most beautiful <laughs> things. I heard a quote the other day that was like, um, the hardest part of being human is being human. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> Not sure who said that. I wish I could give them credit, but like, it's just, yeah, like it's just such a journey to to be fully in acceptance of that. And so I'm curious too about, you know, kind of bringing it back to what you said in the beginning of like, you had these realizations, like, I don't like myself. I'm looking in the mirror saying, I hate you. I don't like you. And so what has that journey been like for you too, of like coming to terms with, okay, I've lost the weight. I've done X, Y, Z practices. I've gotten here mentally. I'm, I'm helping people do this. And there are still moments where I'm not feeling like I'm getting it right. And I, there's still moments where I'm doubting myself. Like how has the, your self-love journey kind of evolved throughout that whole time? Mm. Good question. You know, the first word that pops in my head is acceptance. I think through my self-love journey, the biggest thing that's come through is constantly accepting where I'm at and knowing that I'm not going to be here forever. And it's taking myself out of that victim mindset of saying like, oh God, like I'm here, like this is my fault, like I shouldn't be feeling this way or taking external factors and placing them on me and victimizing myself, but truly just accepting where I am because yeah, even like, I mean, as a business owner too, like there's so many doubts that come in. I have learned so much about myself and on an accelerated level, being a business owner, an entrepreneur and helping people and, and hearing what they're going through and getting triggered by it and looking at those triggers, like everything kind of comes in that way. But it's this constant acceptance of just because I'm here right now doesn't mean that that's what I'm going to be tomorrow. And how can I really use this? to accelerate myself or give myself more love or tap more into my body. And what's a really big practice that I use that I share to all of my clients is called mirror work. And it's a simple process and a lot of people really find value in this, but all you do is look yourself in the mirror, you look yourself in your eyes and you have a conversation with yourself. And this is something that constantly brings me back to 
my self-love and working through everything that I've been through. Like even yesterday when I was sitting there on the ground looking at myself, I had to really share some things that maybe I wasn't proud of or maybe some things that I'm struggling with and things I was grateful for too and saying them out loud, like grateful for my family, my partner, my life, me. And it's really looking at yourself and locking eye contact for you to feel it deeper in your body and for you to feel it on a deeper level. Like I immediately started bawling my eyes out when I was saying how grateful I was for all of these people in my life. And I was like, whoa, like where is this coming from? And it was some uh, reminders of, hey, you haven't been so grateful lately. You got to remind yourself that, except that you haven't been so grateful and use this as an opportunity to really feel the gratitude in your body. Let it overwhelm you and let it be that reminder that you're on the right path and that you're moving forward. And that process of mirror work has been a huge catalyst of my self-love because in the stories that I shared in the very beginning, two times I looked myself in the mirror and I said, I hate you. And now I can look myself in the mirror whether I'm doing mirror work or I'm at the gym and I lock eyes with myself and I have a smirk form on my face because I'm like, damn, like you're really fucking great. Like I'm so proud of you because of where you're going, what you've had to accomplish and no one's perfect. So be where you are now and accept it and allow whatever to come, come in through this acceptance of yourself. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that it came full circle with the mirror work of hating yourself and now the mirror work of practicing gratitude and love mm-hmm. and, and, um, yeah, it's so awesome. So awesome. I'm really curious to hear more about, um, something you mentioned kind of, um, almost in passing and in, in the beginning of your story, but I think it's really potent. Um, you said that you were dealing with a lot of anxiety and depression that you actually wouldn't admit to yourself Mm -hmm. that you were. And I think that that's actually incredibly relatable, unfortunately, for many people. Uh, It seems like my personal observation is that I think a lot of people in our world, especially our country, are pretty much always operating with some kind of low level anxiety or depression. And it's hard for people to admit to. And then once people are able to admit to it, there's also this culture of like normalizing it Mm. to the point where it's like, Oh, like everyone struggles with this, which like, okay. (laughs) I want to make sure I'm clear when I say this. Like, obviously, it's not abnormal. I think being a human is so hard. Like, Mm -hmm. it actually is incredibly difficult. I think that um, Dr. Zach Bush said on a podcast one time, and I just think about it all the time, where it's like, he was like, we're all like three bad nights of sleep away from just completely cracking, you know? (laughs) And I think that's so true. Like, we're our, our, like humanity is so fragile and our minds are so fragile sometimes. And um, so I don't want to like shame anyone for having anxiety, depression or anything like that. But I think it becomes normalized to the point where it's like this acceptance that this is the way it's going to be and that like it, it's, it can't be changed or it needs medication um, in order to be dealt with and that kind of normalization. So I think it's a very common experience of the world, but it's also accepted as something that is inevitable Mm -hmm. and it really doesn't have to be. And so I'm curious to hear more um, from you about, you know, your process of coming to terms with that and just some of your general thoughts on that experience as well. Yeah. And I totally agree with the, like the normalize it too. And, and I, I feel you on that. And what I think has been a wild journey for me when I first started to accept it and how I see this in friends, um, clients who 
don't even want to ask for help because Mm -hmm. it's been shamed. So my story with not admitting to anxiety and depression was because it was this feeling of shame. If I come out and say I'm anxious or if I come out and say I'm depressed, people are going to look at me different. People are going to shame me. People are going to say something's wrong with me. And I was wearing all of these masks and I couldn't put on another mask or I didn't want to take that mask off to say like, oh, I have anxiety or I have depression. Like I don't want this to be what people identify me as. And that's what took me so hard. My my parents never talked about it. They never said anxiety or depression. I learned about it after the fact. I was just sad a lot or I just like wasn't engaged. I was disassociating and I didn't know there was an actual term of you're probably anxious or you're probably depressed. And honestly, I'm kind of grateful that I didn't put a label to it because I probably would have been someone who was like, all right, give me the drugs put me on it because I was someone who always looked for that quick fix, just pop it in and not saying depression medicines are a quick fix because there's a a lot of processes that go through that. But it was something that I wasn't open to admitting because I didn't even know about it. And then there was shame when I was like, oh, it's actually exactly that. And when you start to recognize that you have anxiety and you have some depression, I looked towards a holistic approach where I said, okay, I'm feeling all of these things. I don't, I don't have to feel these things. And I had to ask myself like the question I said this before, like, why, like, why am I feeling these things? And there's an interesting, it's not a quote. It's more of like a a statement that I I kind of lean on because I think it's very fascinating where they talk about depression and anxiety. They talk about depression being thoughts of your past and anxiety being thoughts of the future or like just the present moment. And when I heard that, I said, oh my God, that is exactly it. Because when I was depressed, I was thinking about all of the past mistakes that I made, that I wasn't perfect, that I wasn't enough, all these limiting beliefs. And when I was anxious, it was from conversations. It was from things I just did or the constant worry of the future of what was going to happen. And those are two loops of thoughts from the past and from the future. And coming to terms with it, I was able to completely just like, I want to say like I threw it up. I was like, I'm not going to have it. Like I purged that, but I purged it in my journal. I purged it through affirmations. I purged it through mindfulness. And then I felt really, really high. I was like, whoa, this feels so good. And it's interesting. And anyone who's listening, who's been on a spiritual awakening or a journey like this, you probably relate where you're like, you start your journey. You feel so high. And you're like, whoa, this is what life feels like with bliss, without feeling that connection to the anxiety and depression that's been weighing you down for so long as you accepted that you were there and you're ready for the next blimp of life, which is more bliss and happiness. And then you get to a point where you're like, you hit a rock or you hit a wall. And sometimes it can feel like the anxiety is coming back. And that's my experience. Like, oh, it's back. Whoa, where is this coming from? And then I recognized there's actually another part of me that's like, hey, we didn't look at me yet, but I need to be healed at this moment. And once you're able to say like, okay, like I'm ready for this next step. You look at the anxiety. Maybe you feel a little creep of like the depression tendencies if you know what it feels like. And then you go into that next journey of your healing to relieve more of it because you're constantly working towards that, that feeling of bliss and we all can feel it. I I'm very, I'm very much the person that says you can feel bliss throughout every single day. Even on the hardest days, you can feel a blimp of bliss, but that's actually accepting where you are and admitting that maybe you're feeling these things and then like taking that step forward. So you can start to shed that and release that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of what you said, I heard something, a word that you mentioned earlier, which was surrender. Mm -hmm. And I think that that word gets, um, 
kind of misunderstood in, in this space where it's, yeah, not surrendering to like, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to feel this way forever, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but surrendering to the ebbs and flows and surrendering to the process and the journey of it. And, um, yeah, sometimes I get really frustrated with what you shared of like, oh, you just continuously discover that you have another place to heal. (laughs) (laughs) The healing loop, it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, there's certainly like people and, and spaces that I've witnessed where it's like, um, an, like kind of an addiction to healing type of Mm -hmm. behavior where, you're never letting yourself enjoy that bliss. You're never allowing yourself to eat the fruits of your labor kind of thing. Um, but I do think there's a lot of truth to the idea that there is always another level or there is always another practice because again, being human is being human and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you, you never get it a hundred percent. Right. But, um, and even just surrendering to the idea that maybe there is no right. Right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, because yes. I think um, a lot of that anxiety, especially, yeah, as you put it, like future thoughts, um, a lot of the anxiety can come from that attachment to it has to be one way or it should mm-hmm. or it should feel one way or look one way and allowing yourself to fully surrender to like, well, actually there is no one way or, or right or wrong or good or bad can help alleviate a lot of that. So it's really cool. Yeah. And I was actually talking to a friend yesterday about, I can't remember what medicine he was speaking on, but was sharing how like you're able to look at your problems, quote unquote problems from a different lens, from a different reality, because like we get so stuck on the right way or the right thing that we're thinking of. But when you get out of your body and uh, you're out of your mind and into your body, you're actually able to see like, you don't have to just look at it that way. Or if you actually like open your ears and curiosity to what other people are saying, you can actually accept that, oh, okay, there is a different way to think about this or to do this. And you open yourself up to more freedom of surrendering, of accepting that there are multiple ways that you can do things in different, in different light and be able to get to whatever your inner peace is. And, you know, I think it's interesting just to touch on like the healing loop is like the healing loop is something that I have gotten so stuck in. And I want to like kind of like tag on to what you shared. Like we have things to heal, but we don't always have to look for the next thing to heal. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that I, I know a lot of healers can be like, oh, heal, heal, heal. Cause that makes us better, us better, us better. But like, whew, if you just like mm-hmm. you healed something, like it took me six months to heal something and I had a really rough time. And I said, I, I'm good right now. And then four months of just like absolute, like the work that I did, I was able to apply and feel this newness. And that's, that's the bliss we work for. We, we work for these little blimps of like, ah, I fucking did it. Let's live it. Now let's live it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I really believe that, um, <clears throat> The, the purpose of life, which is like such a big grand statement for me to say, but my personal <laughs> belief around the purpose of this life is twofold. One, to grow and learn the, the, the lessons that our souls need to learn in this lifetime. And the other is strictly pleasure, just absolute pleasure, joy, enjoying yourself, having a great time, the pursuit of pleasure. And I think that that one gets forgotten a lot of the time, um, whether you're on a healing path or not, that like true pleasure too, not just the like, oh, I'm living for the weekend type of thing, or I'm doing drugs or whatever, (laughs) drinking tonight, like, but true joy, true, true bliss um, true pleasure, true being in the moment present to exactly what you're experiencing and loving every second of it, mm-hmm. I think is 
truly part of why we're here, like a huge part of why we're here. And a lot of us, myself included, forget to have fun with it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, especially on a healing journey. You can be so serious about it. So I think that that break that you're talking about giving yourself is not just about having a break from healing. It's about having fun, mm-hmm. <laughs> like really leaning into having fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think about when we went on our journey together, we had so much fun. It was that, that opened my eyes. I was like, Oh, you can have fun doing this. Like, that's cool. Everyone's joking around and like, we're smiling at each other, like going through this, this experience, but it was so freeing and so open. And that, I mean, leading to fun, it's like, those conscious communities that you get to be a part of, that you get to have fun with, that you get to create with, because we're, we are communal beings and like we can do all this work on ourselves. We can like be so accepting of ourselves, but it's going out and just sharing that and getting pleasure from other people. I think that's like a big lesson that I learned. I thought I was always alone on this journey. And when I started doing the, the healing work, I had a beautiful friendship here two friendships here. I have this whole community now. And I'm like, oh my God, this is what like conscious, intimate, pleasurable connections feel like. Holy shit. I want more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, you can tell a spiritual guide by the sound of their laughter. Mm. And I think that that's just so beautiful and so good because it's like, yeah, I don't want to be led by anybody who can't laugh, right? Or like, like, who's going to take it so seriously that I feel like this, that I'm going to fuck up every second and like disappoint them or something like that. Um, so I think that's so awesome. And, and yeah, I feel the same way as like, it's been really cool for my journey as well to find this that community that can do both kind of thing Mm -hmm. um like even on saturday night this past weekend i uh with a group of like six friends went to dinner where we were talking about like super like conscious community type of conversations we were talking about the masculine and feminine we were talking about like sexual healing and all of these like really deep powerful things at dinner and then we went to a comedy show where they're talking like really crude jokes racist (laughs) jokes like like, feminist jokes like misogynistic jokes like all these things and we're all just dying laughing and there's no like shame of like oh i shouldn't be laughing at that i'm i'm evolved i'm healed that's that's wrong or something like that it's like no like you can enjoy your life and and you can understand that like part of the joke is that none of this is real and like yes <laughs> part of the joke yes. is that it's all made up and whatever you think about it is completely made up and just a story and um yeah so there's so much beauty in being able to hold both spaces um at the same time so yeah, mm-hmm. really cool. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that yeah so yeah, I'm curious to hear more too. So, um, about your practice, uh, and how you work with women. And I would love to just hear anything that you would like to share more in depth about that, because we've touched on some of the practices that you give clients, some of the things that you do for yourself. What does it really mean to you to be a feminine embodiment coach and, and, um, in the work that you do? Like, what is some of your favorite parts of it too? Hmm. Hmm. I get like butterflies in my heart just like thinking about like what I get to do. I literally get to wake up every day and support kick-ass women, just (laughs) deepening their connection with their self. And I think like the biggest thing that stands out among so much is I truly get to give women the space to feel seen and feel heard without any lick of judgment. They can just show up as themselves. And the beautiful thing is they get to process things out loud or I give them little homework for them to try and they get to feel it in their body and they get to share it with me. And I get to hold that space for them because I know how important it is to be held by a coach, a mentor, a healer. And the fact that I get to do that for them is just such an honor to be able to hold sacred, incredible women 
just in this space for them to exist. Because a lot of times we're going through life and we feel that we can't exist as our most genuine, authentic self, as our fully expressed self. So giving them that space to do that. And I, I love saying this like term over this, this, uh, this way I see women is, you know, it comes back to a mirror where I like to say that I, I am their mirror where I take a mirror and I hold it in front of them because my goal for my clients after working with me is for them to see themselves as I see them. And every woman that I see and every woman that I hear and everyone I work with, I see the most divine potential. They're visionaries. They're ambitious. They're passionate beings. And actually being able to see them put their mind, their body in action to work and see all of their dreams come true. So they start seeing this mirror being like, oh my God, I do. I can't accomplish this. I do feel this way. And that is just the potency of it. And it's amazing in this work because as a feminine embodiment coach, I've worn so many hats before this. I was a mindset coach. I was a relationship coach. I was all of these things that I've finally just like put under an umbrella of feminine embodiment and working with my clients. They not only get to tap deeper into their bodies, they get to also understand more of their sensuality their intimacy, their pleasure. They also get to learn how to communicate better with their partners and their friendships and their own clients. And they get to constantly wake up and have this bliss and have this sense of purpose and fulfillment because they understand that it's not just one thing. It's they're multidimensional. They get to have so many incredible joyous moments throughout so many parts of their lives And it's really diving into those parts of themselves, into their mind, into their body, and into their soul for them to connect within. And I always love saying like in the feminine embodiment space, you get to nurture yourself and you get to birth out these ideas. You get to birth out love. You get to birth out creation. And you get to really focus in on that sacral space of all of this like whirling swirling pleasure that we've been seeking and you mentioned it like pleasure like it's it's our it's our duty to have pleasure (laughs) in this life and it's truly about tapping deeper into the pleasures that my clients are able to have and they get to come to me and say hey i love myself but how can we turn it up a notch and we get to work together hand in hand to do that Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. What are some of the biggest blocks that you find people have to experiencing that pleasure and owning their, especially sexuality and and in their own bodies, whether it's by themselves or with a partner? Because I think that is something that has been so suppressed and so shamed for women across the globe. Um, So I'm curious to hear from you, what are some of the big blocks that you see? Yeah. So almost every program that I do is focused around sexuality or sensuality. And every time I do it, the women experience a lot of shame. I'll talk about sex. I'll, I'll say some, some spicy words and it's like they cringe in their body. And we talk about why. And the word shame comes up because shameful for us to show skin. It's shameful for us to ask for what we want. It's shame for us to to ask to receive. We should be the ones giving. And it's shameful for us to show up with our shoulders back, our chest out, and believe that we are sexy without thinking that we're asking for it. Mm -hmm. And every time we look at that, we think and we see all these women who suppressed all of that, they all pushed it down because it was shameful for them to to uh, want something more or if they decided they're like hey they do want to like have a lot of sex and they do want to in- experience a lot of partners that's that's shameful that's slutty how dare they so we put ourselves back in this box and we constantly hold ourselves back from deepening pleasure we're told that watching porn is bad we're told that wearing sexy clothes is just a little too much we are told all of these things growing up 
that we put ourselves back into these boxes of shame. The last time I shared about this, I, I said that they were Russian dolls. So the dolls of, uh, of these boxes and boxes and boxes. And when women come to me, they're in this big box of shame. And then we're like, okay, let's work through this shame. What's in the next box? Well, a lot of times it's body image or self-image. They don't see themselves the way that they're, they're able to. So we break that box down. We go a little bit deeper and we recognize it's communication. They're not setting good boundaries. They're people pleasers. They're not asking for what they want. And then we open up another box and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper until you're able to actually see like, what's the intention of your pleasure? Like, why do you want it? Okay. Forget about what everyone else said. What do you want it? Like what's sexy to you? What feels good to you? And once they're able to answer that question, even though it takes some time to get out of these other boxes, they're able to say, Oh, like I'm a freak in the sheets. I had no idea. I've been holding myself back and being able to then work. Okay. How do we start building that confidence to act out this freak? in the sheets because that's truly what you want. So how do we get there? And again, shame comes back in, but then we constantly look at it to almost like, almost like shave it away, like an ice pick. Like we're just, we're, we're slowly, slowly moving it away. So it melts and there's no more shame left to hold you back. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I think, I think one of the, Biggest questions that goes unanswered for so many people, because I see this so much in my work with men as well, mm-hmm. is the question, what do you actually want? Mm-hmm. So many people don't know the answer to that, truly. Like if they're to actually take a beat, actually stop and be like, okay, yeah. And then, but it's also the layers of it, like you said, with the box, it's almost like the same thing. It's where it's like, okay, is that what you actually want or is that what you think you should want? Mm-hmm. Is that what you actually want, or is that what your parents want for you? Is that what you, you actually want, or is that what society says is right? Like, mm-hmm. and so it's the same thing where it's like, yeah, it actually comes back to tapping into yourself and your deepest desires that maybe you have, maybe have been masked by so many other people or ideas or things, but were put on you. So it's really awesome. I love mm-hmm. it. Love Taking it. off the masks. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Oh my gosh. I feel like we could talk all day, but (laughs) we're coming up on time here. So I want to get to our last question, which is what does it mean to you to live your most fully expressed life? Wow. What a great question, Christina. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. What it means to me to live my fully expressed life is just truly finding who I am every single day because every day I can wake up and be like, Oh, I'm holding on to something that someone else told me that I should be. And I wake up and I say, okay, who do I want to be? And with that, I've been building upon this, but who do I want to be? Fully express me is loud. Fully express me is goofy. Fully express me is sexy and uh, deeply connected to other people. The curiosity that comes through when you are fully expressed, when you're actually like, okay, I want to get to know this person. I want to get to know this concept. Being curious about life allows me to understand myself better. So I can fully show up as myself. I think it's really important to be fully expressed is to no longer hear what other people are saying and take it as your own. To almost have the shield up being like, this is who I am. And when you can figure out that, you start to feel really good energy and you're like, oh, okay. I'm kind of in my groove. You know when you're not living fully expressed because you feel small, you feel (laughs) dimmed. But once you're able to start feeling that fully expressed you, your enthusiasm goes through the roof and you become an absolute magnet. And that's what it means to live fully expressed for me. Love it. So beautiful. (laughs) So beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find you, work with you, connect with you, all that? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at jbaxmindset, or you can check out my website, 
Jesse with an E B A X dot com. So many goodies on there. I have a community. I have one-on-one services and I'm so excited to hear what you think about this episode and uh, what really resonated with you. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Fully Express podcast. If you liked what you heard, I'd be so honored if you'd hit that rate and review button and leave us some love. If you want some more content from me and some more connection, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Healing W for with Christina. I'm so grateful for you and I hope that you're inspired to start living your fully expressed life today.